This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right. So I'm sitting here and I am talking to Spencer Valeri. And uh, Spencer, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for the folks out there listening? Yeah, sounds good, Luke. So I'll give you a little bit of my background, I guess, kind of personally and from a hunting perspective. Um, uh, married to my wife, Megan. We've got two two little girls live in southwest Michigan. I'm a Michigan native, though we kind of bounced around the country a little bit there. Lived outside of Michigan for about 10 years and I've been back here for, for about a year or so. Um, interestingly enough, I grew up in a non-hunting family. My dad was a big bass fisherman and, uh, but you know, on Saturday mornings, he put the TV on and we'd watch the old ESPN outdoors and I kind of got a bug for hunting. And so pestered him to, uh, take us out and I have a twin brother. So he took me and my brother out and, uh, we started wandering our way around the woods and, and, uh, just got, just got the hunting bug and um, was lucky enough that a good buddy of mine, his dad kind of took me under his wing and let me hunt his properties and still does to this day. He's just been super gracious to me and kind of showed me how to hunt really. And uh, from there, it just kind of spiraled to, to um, 
to now. I'm really involved in the saddle hunting community. Uh, got into that a number of years ago, saw a lot of advantages to it for mobile hunting. Um, started a YouTube channel a couple of years back called Saddle Hunting, just to try to showcase the guys' saddles and show them uh, what I liked about some, what I didn't like about others, just because at that point you couldn't buy, and you still very limited can buy saddles in a store, you know, so guys couldn't go and try them on. So I just thought, man, I'll, I'll make a YouTube channel and just share guys some ideas. Well, you know, the whole saddle hunting world's blown up and, and uh, the channel's become pretty popular and, uh, it's just been fun trying to help guys out. So, um, that's kind of my background. I enjoy, you know, all kinds of hunting, but, but turkey, um, deer, getting into waterfowl a little bit. But my favorite thing to do, though, is to, to travel and hunt. So I love to go and, and hunt public lands, you know, out west and things like that. And um, I'm just up for a good adventure, really. No, it sounds like it, especially uh, you want to share the story of your uh, most recent uh, adventure out there for the Nevada? Yeah, sure. So I, uh, I apply for a lot of tags in the West every year. And a few years back, I got it in my head that I wanted to start pursuing the Super 10, which I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's basically the taking of a, a representative animal from the major categories of the North American big game, you know, a, a caribou, a moose, an elk, a deer, a bear, you know, a, a goat or a bison, a, you know, on and on and on. So there's 10 different species. So in that, I started applying for sheep tags out west, and I was applying for sheep tags in Nevada, and I thought, I might as well apply for some other species as well. So I started building points for pronghorn, because I just, I've, I'd hunted pronghorn a time or two, really enjoyed it. And uh, this year, going into the draw, I saw that they were offering some new muzzleloader hunts. And I thought, well, sometimes these things get overlooked. I'll throw my name in the hat. So the draw comes out in May. I didn't draw, didn't think anything of it. And then one day, like it's like August 30th, I think, something like that. I'm pulling into my driveway and I get an email. And I'm just looking at it on my phone, you know, and all I can see is like a partial header of the email title. And it's from the Nevada Division of Wildlife. And it says, congratulations, you've been awarded an alternate big game tag. And my heart about skipped a beat because I thought, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I want a sheep tag. <laughs> you know? And I open up the email and sure enough, it's for uh, an alternate Nevada muzzleloader antelope tag. And uh, so I thought, wow, that's cool. And I start looking at it. I'm like, oh, the, the hunt opens up in less than a month. <laughs> we we gotta go so uh, i basically had three weeks to plan you know a hunt to nevada which was a state i'd never been to before uh it was an op they own they require you to use open-sided muzzleloaders i'd never shot an open-sided muzzleloader in my <laughs> life <laughs> you know? so i'm scrambling to get open sights set up and all that and get it sighted in and practice and whatnot and uh so I got it all put together, flew out there, rented a car, drove into Nevada, and uh, it was a solo hunt, did it by myself, and I uh, had talked to a, as many guys as I could doing online research and all that, and had narrowed it down, and and uh, sure enough, go into the area that I, that I had kind of picked out on the maps and immediately started seeing antelope and, and managed to, to get within, I think I was 135 yards and I uh, got a shot at a nice buck on, on the first day I was out there and, <laughs> and, and made it happen. So it was fun. That's pretty good. So did you fly out there or did you drive? 
I did. I, I flew and uh, flew into Salt Lake City mostly because I'd never been to Utah either. And I kind of wanted to see what Utah was like. I could have flown really into Vegas or Reno, but I thought, ah, I just wanted to see Salt Lake City. And so I flew into there, rented a truck and then then drove into Nevada on I-80. Yeah, I think for me, Salt Lake City and some people may get offended. And I'm sorry. I apologize. But um, Salt Lake City is kind of like Chicago. I could live without it, but the area surrounding there, I tend to like, you know, like Illinois, you start getting south and you start smelling the fragrant, you know, the, the corn growing and then the fragrant black walnuts and all the other things along and the big oaks along the riverbeds that kind of touches me in the right places. But, you know, and same, you know, you get outside of Salt Lake and even though you can see the mountains from Salt Lake, it's still, it's still a big city. And that's just not for me. I feel trapped in there, but Oh yeah, I, I hear you. The <laughs> one day I was killing time because I got done early and I, I drove into the Wasatch Mountains on the east side there and that's just pretty stuff. Saw a whole yeah. moose standing there right next to the road, you know, uh, and then to go west out of there was just craziness going across the great salt desert and the salt flats and all that. I mean, I, I don't know what I expected, but I got out there and, and it's like, you're in Antarctica. I mean, it's just white as far as the eye can see. You know? It's like, pretty where cool. Am I? <laughs> yeah, it's that's really great. Sweet. I mean, it it makes you appreciative of all the things that you know God created, and the fact that we haven't, you know, we haven't experienced it or seen it. But when you when you take that in or you get that experience, it's like wow. You know, you feel you feel amazing, and you feel truly blessed, and, and almost insignificant, and so little because you realize how large the world around you is. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had that thought the day I killed my antelope. I was I don't even know four or five miles from the truck. I'd went out of water at one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm huffing the whole antelope, and, and I'm about I'm over a thousand feet higher in elevation than the truck is. And I'm huff, I getting this thing out after dark, right? <laughs> I'm trying not to overheat in the middle of the desert, right? <laughs> and so about every quarter mile, I'm stopping and just kind of sitting down, taking a breather. And you look up, and I mean, you're in the desert in the middle of nowhere, right? And it was crystal clear when I was out there. I've never seen so many stars in my life. And you just look up and you go, wow, I'm, I'm really a small piece of this equation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I got to ask you though, when you rented a vehicle, did you just like rent from the regular, uh, like rental place at the airport or did you end up getting something really cool? Like one of those adventure vans or something? <laughs> no, I, I did. I just rented from, from budget. Uh, and I wanted to rent like a midsize truck, like a Tacoma or something. And I get there and the lady's like, Hey, all we have is this quad cab eight foot bed, or I think it was an eight foot bed, uh, F two fifty. Okay. Great. Oh, that'll get about 12 miles a gallon. <laughs> so did you have something pre-booked online then, or was it? I did. Okay. Yeah. 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 So th- yeah. I like how they do that. Most of the time it's the opposite though. So you ask for like a mid-sized truck and you end up getting like a, like a 1990 Ford Ranger, not really, but you know what I mean? The size wise. And that's like when we, my wife and I traveled last, we ended up, we, we had a, a mid-sized vehicle or even something bigger than that. And we ended up getting, it was like a, a little Nissan Versa or something. I told my wife, I was like, in Utah driving this, I was like, this is dangerous because they drive to the extreme in Utah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's like a NASCAR lap every time you pull out of a stop stoplight or something. And I was like, man, I, we're going to get hit. This thing doesn't have enough power to get out of its own way. 
It was pretty scary. Well, I was kind of nervous because there's two guys in line in at the rental car counter and they both had rented i think uh sedans and the lady's like we don't we don't have anything I'll, I'll, you guys want a dodge challenger <laughs> neither one of them wanted it and i'm like i can't take a dodge challenger into the middle of the desert like, no. i hope yeah, they got some trucks <laughs> like... <laughs> no that's cool that you got what you got though <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was sticker shock for me though because my day-to-day drive it i just drive a, a little uh, toyota corolla so the first time i stop for gas and the gas pump shuts off at a hundred dollars i'm like wow this is a different world <laughs> yeah that's uh it's become quite the challenge these days some I, i've noticed some gas stations it's like 75 dollars it shuts off so i can't even fill my tank and my yeah, truck yeah. i gotta go somewhere <laughs> else and do it so yeah it's no i get it man <laughs> so let's kind of talk about a little bit, how did you end up getting into the Western hunting stuff? I mean, was it something you kind of dreamed about when you were here living in the Midwest or was it something that came about living out West or, you know, how, how did that happen? Yeah, no, mostly it was living here in the Midwest. Um, probably when I was in middle school, I had read two books by Chuck Adams. Uh, one, well, I think one was by Greg Gutschow, basically a biography of Chuck Adams. Uh, it was called Chuck Adams, Life at Full Draw. And then <laughs> I read Chuck Adams, Super Slam book. And, uh, you know, I was just doing a little bit of deer hunting in the Midwest back then. But I thought, man, these adventures sound cool. And while my family didn't hunt, we had been all over the country. You know, I'd been to over 40 states, I think, by the time we graduated high school. And we'd gone to Yellowstone and South Dakota and all that. And so going to those places really just kind of put a seed into me like, I really want to go west and I want to see different places and chase animals in different types of terrain and environments. And so um, I started planning for it, even when I couldn't afford it, you know, buying preference points and those kind of things. And and then uh, really in the last six, seven years, I've been able to do do more of that. And uh, I've hunted um, in that time, Idaho, uh, Wyoming a handful of times, uh, Florida, Maine, now Nevada, going to South Dakota in a couple of weeks. Um, So uh, I've just enjoyed it. It's just fun getting different places, seeing different animals. So I got to ask you, what'd you you end up going to Maine for? Uh, Went up there on a black bear hunt. Um, Okay. I, uh, the last, I'm trying to think here, the last three out of state hunts I've tagged out on opening day, <laughs> first day I was out there, uh, went to Maine in 2018 and, uh, sat down. It was kind of a funny story. The guides were talking about where to put people and everybody's looking at these trail camera pictures in the camp, you know, and they got pictures of these slobs and they're all at nighttime and whatever. <laughs> and every, Oh, I want to go hunt that one. I want to go hunt that one. And I walked up to the guide and I said, I just want to see some pictures of bears in daylight. I'm not going to chase some 400 pound ghost that only shows up after yeah. dark. <laughs> and he's like, well, I got a really good bear that uh, nobody wants to hunt the bait because they don't have a camera on it because the bears ripped a camera off two weeks ago. But <laughs> I had a really good bear daylighting. And I'm like, that's all I need to hear. Just put me there. <laughs> and, uh, and I go to that bait and I sat there for about three hours. And it was kind of funny because I was sitting there and I hear some crunching behind me and in comes some raccoons. It was like a family of them. And they come up to the bait and they're fussing around and all of a sudden they get all freaked out. And it's a mom and some little ones, you know, they run up these trees and uh, 
and I look and I see a bear head pop out of this real thick stuff. And it, and it walks a little bit and I pick the gun up and all I can see is its head and it's only about 40 yards away. And I thought, and I was rifle hunting, I thought I could shoot it right now, but I was like, oh, I haven't seen its body. And they'd give us this huge lecture, you know, about how bears are hard to judge and whatever. And I was like, I don't want to be the guy that shoots an 80 pounder and comes back to camp, you know? So I passed the shot and it goes back into the woods. Well, then the raccoons come back down the tree and head over to the bait pile. Well, the bear hears this and comes this time quite aggressively in towards the bait, popping its jaws and all that. And it gets there and I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, it's Monday, the first day of the hunt. We're hunting until Saturday. And I thought to myself, I'd shoot it on Saturday. Well, I'll just shoot it now. <laughs> and I shot it. And it was a it was a 10-year-old 250-pound bear. So I was pleased with it. Yeah. Know? Hey man. I mean, I that's my thing. So, so many people talk about, you know, all oh, this trophy, this trophy, whatever, but I mean, are you, re- you really going to go on a hunt, spend all that money and then come home with nothing because it wasn't your expectations. Maybe I don't have that high of expectations, but I know limitations as well. And I'm not the best hunter in the world. So let's face it. I, I mean, I'm going to take, take an opportunity. <laughs> that's how I feel about it. You know, I'm out there in Nevada. It's the first day. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon, but I'm like, I'm in the middle of the desert with a gun that really has 150 yard and in range. And I'm like, I don't know how many opportunities I've got. I didn't pre-scout. I'm out here by myself. I only got three days to make it happen. It may be the first day, but this is a decent buck and he's 130 yards away. (laughs) I'm going to kill him. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome that that happened like that. I mean, that, that's so cool. And he is a nice buck. I've seen pictures. Like, congratulations on that. That's yeah, pretty I was, awesome. I was, so I was pleased with him. So yeah. No, I mean, I just uh, started doing Wyoming and Montana building points. Um, and I'm hoping, because my dad's getting up or, up there in age, and, uh, you know, I, I want to do a hunt with him. And he's always talked about wanting to do an antelope hunt. So I created a profile for him and, you know, did all that stuff. And so we're buying the points and and applying. So I think in about another year and a half, maybe two years, we'll have enough oh, points man. to where we can draw for doing that. So that'll be pretty cool. I'm kind of they're 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 fun hunts. You know, that's the third one I've killed and and it's just a riot. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. I've heard uh I was talking to one of my other buddies and he was telling me that they were out there in Montana and he said the time they were out there for archery, they'd already been chased and chased and chased for I don't know a month month almost a month and a half or something by the time they got out there. And he said, uh, it was the craziest he's ever seen it. Like they just normally during the rut, they would be there and they'd see you with a heads up decoy or whatever you had, or, you know, one of those, I can't remember the name of them, the one that goes on your bow, but, um, yeah. but he's like our ultimate predator. And he's like, you have an ultimate predator on your bow and you hold your bow up and they'd come charging at you. And he goes, this time they'd see that and run the other way. He's like, they must've been haunted hard this year. So, I, I don't know if that's like the new dynamic is everybody's going out there and chasing them or what, but hopefully it's not like that for, for us yeah, when we get out there. Not, right? <laughs> I, I went out prepared. I brought a, a pronghorn decoy and a cow decoy and I didn't even use either one. <laughs> no, that's cool. You know, I think there's a common theme though there with all your stories you're telling me and stuff and even the stuff beforehand is like, there's a lot of humility I can sense with within you and, and the way you present yourself. It's not like you're bragging about it or anything. You're just honest and telling the story. And I think, I think that kind of has a lot to do with, uh, with, with, with your success as well, because you know, your realistic expectations and just going out there and you being you and not caring about, 
you know, what somebody else thinks or, you know, I, I'm starting to pick yeah. that up about you. That That's a good, it's a good trait to have. And I often have to try and remind myself that I'm not chasing anybody else's dreams. I'm trying to pursue my own and, uh, you know, keep my expectations within my reality. So. Yeah. That's, yeah. You know, I, I know what's going to make me happy and that's, that's what I'm there for. You know, what one of my dream hunts and, and I was really surprised I didn't draw a tag this year because I thought I had enough points. So maybe next year I want to hunt a U sheep. <laughs> as silly as that sounds. Uh, I just want to hunt bighorn sheep. I know the odds of me ever drawing a ram tag are super slim. So I've been trying to draw a U sheep and it's like, and if I can go out there and make that happen, I will be on cloud nine. And I mean, to me, it will be the greatest trophy I ever put on the wall, probably. Yeah. So I got to ask you, though, like, is the tag cheaper than a than a ram? No, it's still like <laughs> hundred bucks. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. At least it's not like a twelve thousand dollar tag. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what, you're going to try and get a grizzly, too, then? Is that the plan? I don't know. I, I thought about it. Um, they're just so hard because you can't DIY them. Yeah. You know, you got to hire an outfitter. And uh, with British Columbia being closed down for grizzlies, demand in Alaska has gone through the roof. You know, you used to be able to go to Alaska. I mean, not all that long ago and hunt a grizzly for, you know, six, eight thousand bucks. It's Forget about, it. You can't do that anymore. At least two times that much now because I, I, yeah. I was just talking to a buddy about that and he's gone on quite a few of them. And I asked him, I was like, you know, you know, what would it cost to go? And I was asking him about Kodiak. Cause he mentioned in the past, like a long time ago, about 18 years ago or something that he'd done that. And, uh, I was asking him, I'm like, what do you think it costs to do that today? Like if I wanted to do it in my head, I've always got these visions and, and like you see Fred Barron, like I, when I was like 16, maybe even 17 years old, my buddy's like, Hey, you ever seen Fred bear videos? And I was like, no. And it, it, so then he, he had like one of them. And at the time you could get them on Netflix back when Netflix would mail you the oh, actual yeah. DVDs. So some of your young kids won't even know what I'm talking about, but, <laughs> right. but they used to have like anything and everything. So we started getting um, Howard Hill DVDs and we were watching Tembo or Tim Tembo. Nice. Yeah, I think it was. And, yeah, that was and, it. and uh, all these other ones. And, and I'm like, man this is freaking awesome i want to do this like so bad and then the one where he was on they were fishing off the the boat and went in intercoastal and did the kodiak island grizzly hunt and he whistled at it and it stood up and and he drilled it with an arrow and ever since then it's like just stuck in my mind and then after talking to him he's like well you know it used to cost about 12 grand and he's like now that one's probably about sixty thousand dollars to do that and i'm like they're, there they're goes crazy. there goes my dream because yeah. that is never happening <laughs> i i have a good friend uh the guy's got a trophy room like nobody ever believed i i think if i remember right you go over there he's got over a hundred i think it's almost 120 different species of big game animals from all over the world i mean he's almost got the super slam he's just a few species short tons of stuff from africa and australia and all these places and he's brown and grizzly hunted I think he's brown bear hunted twice and grizzly bear hunted three or four times, but you know, he, he did a lot of that in the nineties and the early two thousands. And since then yeah. prices have just gone through the roof. Yeah. Back then you probably <laughs> called him up on the phone and booked it and no computers yeah. <laughs> or nothing. You had to meet him at a trade show or something. That's, right. that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's like, I remember when I was a kid, 
my first full-size giraffe mount. I saw. It's funny that you mentioned that because I don't know. Did that guy live in Missouri? Ohio. Okay, because yeah, this guy, my buddy, my buddy's dad would go down to this place down in Missouri and help guide at a hunting ranch. And the guy that owned the hunting ranch was a world-renowned handgun hunter. And so we'd go down there and kind of mess around and do different things, ride around on the four wheeler. And every once in a while we'd help, you know, and help guide and get the animals and throw them in the back of the truck and all that kind of stuff and help cape them out. Well, he invited us to dinner or something at his house and we go over there and he's like, yeah, let's go in the trophy room and hang out. And we walk in there. And first of all, it wasn't a trophy room. It was like a freaking (laughs) palace, right? It was, it was a giant pole (laughs) barn and I'm looking at, I'm like, that thing's pretty tall, you know, the ceiling on that thing. And then you go in there and it's like full life-size mounts of all these different animals, a grizzly bear, life-size mount standing there with his arms up and, and just, you know, growling at you. And I'm like, what? It blew my <laughs> yeah, mind, cool. but it made me think like, this guy shot all these with a handgun? Like, that's amazing. But at the same time, I, like I can picture your same reaction because I, I was drooling all over the place. It was so cool, you know. I mean, better quality of stuff than like you'd see in a museum, probably. Oh yeah, but, yeah. I thought I knew a, a lot of the animals worldwide, and I went over there, and I'm like, "What is this thing?" <laughs> That's yeah. And then he was telling me about I don't remember what it was, whether it was like a kudu or something. And he's like, "Yeah, you walk up to it, no joke. You they got scent glands in their tail." And uh, you lift it up and you smell it. And after you kill them, it smells almost like fresh, fresh baked bread. And I'm like, come on, you're messing with me. You just, you want, you know, if, if I ever shoot one, you want me to go up and do that and look like an idiot. Yeah, but, right. <laughs> but I think, I think he was being serious because it's, I've heard one other person mention that to me. So unless they're just jacking with me, I don't know. But That's maybe something. one day I'll find out. I, I don't know. We'll see yeah. if we can go there. But so I kind of want to ask you about uh, those two stick bows hanging on the wall there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the guy that I mentioned earlier that kind of took me under his wing and really showed me how to deer hunt and, and let me hunt on his place and all that and 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 blast way too many six-month-old deer on his property. <laughs> he he uh, he hunted and, and still to this day primarily hunts with a Black Widow uh, recurve. And he's now shooting a blacktail, but um, hunted with recurve. And he just let me try his black widow yeah so i was in high school and uh just was shooting his black widow and really really enjoyed it and so i went to my dad and i was like dad you know i'm like 16 working at kroger you know the grocery store and i said dad i, I really want to buy one of these black widows and my dad's like well you know maybe we'll try to teach you about money right so i ordered a black widow custom and back then that was 2005 i had eleven hundred dollars into it i think between the bow and the quiver and and my dad was like all right i'm gonna charge you twelve hundred bucks just pay me a hundred dollars a month for a year (laughs) and so i ordered the bow and and did that and whatever so that's the that's the top bow it's a a black widow pma i've had it since 2005 it's a fantastic bow um killed a handful of deer with it um the second one below it is an ilf 17 inch ilf bow that I picked up a couple of years ago because I was having some shoulder issues and the weight on the Black Widow was bothering me. So I threw 35 pound ILF limbs on that bow just to try to 
to work on form and, and those kind of things. So uh, I enjoy, I love hunting with the Black Widow. It's primarily what I've hunted with the last two years. Um, I'm hoping to take it on my hunt here in a couple of weeks. Um, though my shoulder's been giving me a little issues this year. So I'm going to bring, probably going to bring the compound as a backup. <laughs> uh but uh, it uh it's just all right i love shooting a recurve it's it i just think it's so much more fun <laughs> yeah my buddy got me into longbows and uh i hunted with for a couple of years and then i had kind of one just bad experience on a on a doe that i injured and then i kind of hung it up for a while because i was like man I, I just i didn't i felt bad because i felt like i didn't dedicate enough time to perfecting my shot and yeah. and maybe it was just a mistake whatever so i hung it up and now I just kind of pull it out and play with it every now and again. I don't, I mean, the, the nostalgia and like the, the, there's that spot in my heart for a stick bow that'll never, ever go away. Cause there's just something about it that feels right when I'm shooting it. But at the same time, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll pick it up in a couple more years or something. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, it, it's a humbling tool. You know, last year I uh, I went in with the saddle and went in blind to this spot in Northern Michigan and set up and, I'd been hunting down here and hadn't got a deer yet, which was very abnormal. And I have this big doe come by. I set up in a tree that had about five trunks. And so there's just stuff going everywhere. And I'm, I'm maybe 16 feet up, not real high. This doe comes by at eight yards. And I had been practicing at 20, 25, 30 yards all <laughs> summer long. And I glanced it off the belly of that doe at eight yards <laughs> oh, man. oh my goodness like, yeah. i need to practice more at five yards next year. that's a tough one were you practicing from the tree at all those distances or i i i would say i do most of my practicing on the ground um yeah. i i do some from the saddle throughout the year probably not as much as i should honestly um <laughs> The same boat. <laughs> yeah. I shoot most of mine on the ground, but I'll get up there and just take a few shots, just kind of trying to check, you know, like my weak side and all that kind of stuff from the saddle. But, you know, I, for the most part, it's, it's on the ground and I'm confident enough with a few shots that I can take the rest of them. But then again, that's a compound bow too. I don't know if yeah. I'd have the same confidence because uh, I got back, my buddies met me. We were all, it was like a, it was like a recurve weekend we were doing before, uh, before a gun season and my one buddy says to me he goes what was the last thing you saw and i'm thinking about it. he goes you see the whole deer i was like yeah i i saw the whole deer he goes well at least you hit what you were aiming at then <laughs> like, <laughs> yep <laughs> nice nice yeah so i gotta um when, when you started doing the saddle hunting um what i mean how long ago was that and and how'd you or why did you get into that yeah, so my first exposure to saddles was fairly early on. Uh, I was hunting with a recurve. It was 2007, and uh, I was trying to lay down my first deer with the with the Black Widow. And my buddy's like, hey, I got a bunch of does coming in um, and some turkeys, and one of them's a smoky gray turkey. He said, I want to shoot the smoky gray turkey, um, but they usually come in before the deer. Why don't we go out there? You can sit in the stand, and I'll hang in my saddle. And uh, I'd never heard of a saddle before, you know, this was 2007 and he had one of the trophy lines from before that. So we go out there and it worked out like a script. I mean, those turkeys came in, he was hanging above me in the trophy line. He smokes that smoky gray turkey, nails it right to the ground, climbs down, moves it to the bottom of the tree and 
a while later, some does come in and I whack on him with the Black Widow. And he filmed the whole thing from the saddle, which was really cool. So that was my <laughs> first exposure to the saddle. And so I was familiar with it as a tool, but you know, they weren't, they weren't on the market at that time. And um, so I was following the market. Um, uh, during that time period, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and then I went and got a couple of master's degrees. And so I was still hunting and killing a lot of deer, but just doing it the way I was familiar with. Wasn't mobile hunting, private land setups with hang-ons and sticks, you know, and all that. Um, so then I moved to um, Ohio and wanted to get more mobile. Got access on three or four farms, didn't have the money to go buy, you know, eight or 10 different tree stand setups. And at the same time, I had got a book by John Eberhardt, uh, Bow Hunting Pressured Whitetail. Yep. And, you know, I'm reading Bow Hunting Pressured Whitetail. So this is probably around the 2014 timeframe, I bet. Um, reading Bow Hunting Pressured Whitetails and Eberhardt's talking all about the saddle. Yeah, okay, you know, and uh, it might have been early 2015. So then in the fall of 2015, I made what I would consider my first real mobile move. Uh, I was hunting a property and found a rub line that was coming up the edge of this ditch and the deer were crossing it at the, the head of the ditch, moved in there, first hunt in there. I missed probably open young deer at daybreak and then a couple hours later arrowed a really nice mature buck <laughs> and I thought man there's really something to this moving around and being mobile so that's when I was like okay I, I got to get a saddle and I had uh, got my hands used on a arrow hunter evolution wasn't a big fan of it um, just a lot of metal on it clunky and all that and so um, the first one that I bought was the Arrow Hunter Kestrel. And that was, uh, you know, really the, the resurgence of saddles started with the Arrow Hunter Kestrel. Yeah. And I ordered it, I ordered it the day it came out. And um, from there, it's just uh, snowballed. You know, I, I think I, uh, you know, the Kestrel was good and I immediately saw all the advantages of it. And so I was like, it's good, but it's not comfortable. There's got to be something better. And so then I just started trying everything that came <laughs> out, you know, <laughs> in this search for what's the, what, there's got to be something better. There's got to be something better, you know. And, and then that's, I started making the YouTube videos and sharing my thoughts with people and, and all that kind of thing. So. No, that's pretty cool. And you know what's funny is you mentioned the book Bow Hunting Pressure Whitetails and and I bought that book so long ago. Like Amazon was only books back then. <laughs> yeah. And and like I don't even remember when, but I bet you it was probably I don't know, 10, 8, 10, maybe 11, somewhere right in that time frame like you're talking like that. But I read it never really like fully read it, you know, just kind of read through it and put it down, never looked at it again. And then it was like, gosh, I don't know, uh, like two, maybe three, probably three years ago. And I started hearing Eberhardt's name again. And I'm like, yeah. this guy, like he sounds familiar. What he's talking about sounds familiar. I kind of recall him talking about this hunt somewhere else and it just wasn't clicking, wasn't clicking. And then I started moving around. I had a tub of books that I never even 
pulled out like after we moved. I just stuck them on the shelf in the basement on one of our shelves and like left them there. And so I pulled them out and my wife's always on me to go through things and purge things, whatever. So I'm looking and I'm like, Eberhart. So I pick up the book and I'm like, and it clicked. It was a light bulb. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I started looking and I'm like, I've got another one of his books. Like, (laughs) I had no idea. I don't even think I've read the second one. So then like I read, read through both of them all over again. And then I got on like, then I started looking into some other ones and I got like Tony Peterson's book on the, the bow hunting public white tails and all that kind of stuff and then oh, just yeah. like snowballed and i'm like i don't hunt enough public <laughs> like <it> clicked <laughs> in my head and then here we are now <laughs> it's kind of funny though because i had no idea who this eberhart guy was and then my buddy started talking about him and he was like yeah i just watched a video on youtube about somebody who was interviewing eberhart and they had all his bucks on his wall and they were talking about him i'm like hmm i'm gonna have to check that out and then it like all came together for me. It was pretty cool. Yeah. It was a cool experience. I've <laughs> <laughs> never dawned on me. And it's funny because I wonder how many other people like were in search of books at the time. Because it was like right in the same time I was buying, I was buying other books like uh, Stalking and Still Hunting and, you know, like the different, yeah, yeah books like <laughs> that. White books. Yeah. All those yeah. things. And so I kind of read through those and I was almost burned out by the time I got to like the Eberhardt book. So I just didn't have like the same passion when I was reading it or something because it didn't sink in. But now I read it again and I, it's pretty cool. Like all the stuff that I missed, you know, but oh yeah, there's tons <laughs> packed in here. for sure. But so I got to ask you on the saddle stuff, like what kind of stuff have you found that is kind of like an all around favorite and what's some of the stuff that eh, kind of, you know, might fade out or something along the way? Yeah, so I mean, to this point, I've owned uh, at least that I can account for and remember at least 25 different models of saddles, you know, not one of two different sizes or, you know, 25 different types of saddles. Um, So I've tried pretty much everything that's that's out there. And I've seen a lot of common themes as I try them out. You know, so there's just I've gotten to the point where there's just certain things that I that I look for. And there's some saddles I look at and I go, that's not going to be comfortable for most people. And and just as a disclaimer up front, like saddles are so uh, situational and and specific. Right. Like the comfort of one saddle is going to vary depending on a person's body shape, yes. their body type. <laughs> right. It's going to depend on whether they want to sit or lean primarily what their hunting style is. So all of those things factor in. And there's I'm often reluctant. People ask me all the time, what's the best saddle out there? I hate the word best, <laughs> you know, because I, I think it is so individualistic. You know, um, there's some saddles that are wildly popular on the market that I personally don't like at all, you know, and, and so there's, you know, there's a lot of nuance to it. But generally, just as a few basic principles, I look for a saddle when you're when you've got the saddle in front of you, I want to make sure that the top of it has a curve to it. If that makes sense. Kind of that that football shape, you know, the bottom yep. on all of them is curved, but you also want the top to be curved. If I look at a saddle and it's pretty straight across the top, 
I am pretty sure it's going to have some hip pinch going on. Uh, and in my opinion, that's just a design flaw. Um, every saddle I've ever tried that's flat across the top, the, the Treehopper Ultimate, um, the Mantis, uh, a number of other ones, for me anyway, have bad hip pinch. And I, I think when I see reviews of those saddles, it's pretty consistent. Um, the other thing that I think is a super important adjustment is the ability to adjust the bridge along the bridge loops. That to me is like the biggest, you know, comfort difference. You know, if you can't do that, you're going to lose out because <laughs> that's where a lot of the fine tuning and the tweaking comes in when you're, especially when you're changing positions from sitting to leaning and things like that. So uh, if the saddle doesn't come with an adjustable bridge, get one, you know, and I've talked to guys who are like, oh, my Manus was about ready to cut me in half. And then I went and threw a triad bridge on it or a utility bridge or something. And, and it made a world of difference, you know? Um, so that's the second big thing. Um, I personally have gravitated toward two panel saddles. Um, I just like the way they fit. Um, I'm, I'm primarily a sitter. You know, I, which, which I've done some polls on like Saddle Hunter Nation and stuff like that. Um, I drank the Eberhardt Kool-Aid, so I, <laughs> I sit, right? <laughs> but the majority of the saddle hunting world, I think, leans. Um, and I like two panel saddles for sitting. I, I think they're, for me, just, just a whole lot more comfortable. To get a saddle, in my experience, that's really supremely comfortable for sitting in a single panel design, you got to have a lot of fabric you know, for it to, to, to work yeah. really, really well. Um, so those are a few things that I, you know, big picture look for in a saddle. But of course, you, nowadays, you've got different designs coming out your ears, you know, you, yeah. you, hammock style saddles and sling style versus mesh and quarter, you know, there's so many different things going on. So are you hunting out of the Eberhardt saddle? Is that your... Uh... I love the Eberhardt saddle. Um, and it's, I tell people all the time, the Eberhardt saddle has a learning curve to it, right? Like I had so much experience with saddles and yet I got the Eberhardt and it took me a solid two sessions in my yard of probably 20 or 25 minutes a piece to figure out how to manage the two panels, you know, in a manner that was easy and made sense that I could do in the dark without a whole lot of thought to it, you know? Um, so I, I test so many saddles that I hardly have a like go-to one. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, people are always asking, well, what saddle are you going to be using? Well, I'm going to use six or eight this fall. <laughs> you know? um, but, but the ESS is right near the top of my list from a comfort perspective. Um, I, the, the sling style just works for me. Um, I would say the most comfortable saddle I've ever used is the uh, Dryad Dre, you know, the, the hammock style that came out this year. Um, I don't understand it, that one fully, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I get that at a certain point, like, but completely wrapping yourself in it seems to me, now I could be wrong, I don't know, like a gimmick. Because when am I going to fully wrap myself and then have to try and drop all that down, range a deer, grab my bow, point the camera at it, and do all of that while I'm in a cocoon. I, right. Maybe I'm wrong, but to me, yeah. it seems like it's a little excessive. So, yeah, the, the cocoon thing is really, um, I would only ever pull it up over my shoulders like that. 
when I'm in the tree an hour and a half or two hours before daylight, and I want to take a nap. Okay. <laughs> right? See, now I could see that. I could see that. That would be the only time I would use it. Other than that, I am dropping the fabric all down so it's not coming up any higher than my lower back. So I pretty much use it like a traditional saddle. Um, but, you know, you can pull it up to your armpits and all it takes is just slightly leaning forward when the when the you know moment of truth comes and the and the fabric will fall down, so it, and it won't impede your movement or anything like that. So do you um, actually strap inside of it then? Is there like a harness, you know, like leg loops and all that inside of it? Yeah, so it's it's a super modular system. It's basically built on a on a webbing belt that has modular removable leg straps. And then there's a bag that the hammock goes inside of that slides onto the belt. And so hmm. you, uh, you know, you climb the tree with just your harness on, which ultimately looks like a rock climbing harness at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and then when you get to hunting height, you, you deploy the, the hammock and clip into your tether um, and sit, sit down in it. So it, it carries because you, it's essentially a belt and you take the leg straps off for the walk in, it carries in very, very well. You know, I like to wear my saddles in. So packability is a big deal for me. And it's, it's right up there with the best I've ever tried from that perspective. Nice. Have you tried the two-way bore? Yes, I have one. I've actually yeah. been testing it for a while. I haven't gotten as many hours in it yet as I would like to. I like to to put no less than a dozen hours in a saddle before I'll I'll throw a review on it. And many of the saddles I've done, I've got way more hours in than that. Uh, but I got that not long before I like right before I drew the antelope tag. So then I lost basically a month <laughs> of all my free time was trying to frantically plan this Nevada trip. And so I, um, things have just started to slow down. And, and so I'm, I put some hours in it this week. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I put my first full sit and I did like five hours, not a full day, but I did like five hours in it. I really liked it. And, and, it's like I tried it at uh, the Genesis saddle event, yeah. and that's when I was like, "Man, that's the most comfortable saddle I've ever sat in." And then um, I sat actually, you know, played around in the yard a couple times and stuff. But then sitting in it, actual a full sit, I was like, "Man, that's probably the most comfortable." Now, granted, my saddle that I hunted all season with last year was the Tethered Mantis, which <laughs> had some serious hip squeeze. I hated the bridge on it. And I think like my biggest thing right now is learning the adjustments, but I, f mm. I feel like once that saddle gets broken in and I was talking to the owner about it or one of the owners, um, and he was telling me, he's like, you know, the tubular webbing, he's like, the more you sit in it, it'll break it in a little bit and it'll start contouring to you more. And all those, like, if you have any hot spots or anything, those are probably going to tend to go away afterwards. And I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. I'm getting excited now. You know, like there wasn't really a whole lot of squeeze or anything on anything. And I think most of like anything that I had was just because I didn't have the adjustments right. So I started playing yeah. with the adjustments on it. And, I'm, and, and you see it at first and you're like, well, maybe it's a little, little overwhelming with the adjustments. But once you figure them out and start playing with it, I was like, man, this is, this is, this is nice. Like, this is my favorite saddle. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I I'm glad I some... finally got one. Right, right. I was showing it to some friends of mine, and the one guy's first reaction was, man, there's a lot going on. And I was like, yeah, but, man, these adjustments, like, make a make a big difference. And, 
I was really surprised. And, and then he winds up getting one and he's like, man, you were right. Like those adjustments, they, they really do something. <laughs> it makes a ton of difference. Like you wouldn't think being able to adjust the band that's, you know, on the backside of your legs would make that much yeah. of a difference. But especially if you're a sitter versus like a leaner. I yep. So I tried both ways, like sitting and leaning, just playing with it. I was probably moving around so much in the tree, even if there was a deer coming, it would have <laughs> seen all the movement. Yeah. But, but so adjusting it and like you can adjust it to where you're pretty much sitting in like a swing and, and there's yeah. no pressure there. But then being able to adjust. So technically you don't adjust the bridge. You adjust the backside of the bridge to where the saddle extends and leans. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. And I switched to saddles because my lower back would hurt. Mm. I I would end up to where after about two days, if I did one all day sit or, or you know, like a half a day and then an all day sit, I'd end up to the chiropractor for a month. And sometimes <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to get out of bed and walk. It was just something going on there. But when I switched to a saddle, that all went away. The lower yeah. back problems went away. And I even ordered like the tethered recliner and all those different things and never used it, never had to. You know, you just get your right angle and it keeps that back, the spine aligned enough to where, but now like you can lift up that panel and put that other strap up higher on your lower back. And I sat in there, <laughs> it was like, it was amazing how, how good yeah. I felt. You know what I mean? It felt even yeah. better. Like I noticed in like the tethered saddle when I'd sit like in certain positions or stand, like certain muscle groups would just kind of get fatigued. Like you'd feel things were fatigued and like the next day your back would be a little tight or something. I didn't have that problem. So I'm yeah. really amped up to see how the rest of the season goes because it's by far one of the best saddles I've ever sat in. So. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you look at saddles and design-wise, you realize, like, most people's problems come from straps running across some sort of a joint or somewhere, right? Yeah. So they've either got that two-inch webbing running across their, their hip joint or it's at the, you know, running across their iliac crest or something. And that's where a lot of people get pain from. And I think the advantage of the hammock design is that there's no straps. So for the most part, your pressure points are just gone, you know, and, and I think that's what makes them really, really comfortable. And if I were to make a prediction, I think you'll see more and more companies move into that hammock style or, or fab, at least that kind of fabric yeah. um, with less straps in the future. But. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm starting to notice though, like I'm not a big guy on all the forums around the Facebook groups. I just joined, in fact, a bunch of the Facebook groups and, and really just started utilizing Facebook more than I ever have. It just wasn't my jam. The whole Instagram thing yeah. was easier. You post a picture, you type some words, it's done. The whole Facebook thing, there's a lot of interaction there that like I never really got into. And, and uh, <laughs> But I started jumping on the forums. And, of course, now you got the Saddle Hunter classifieds that I spend a little right. bit too much time on. And, and Sam Switalski over there, the Amsteel guy, <laughs> yeah. giving me some guff about some of the purchases I've been competing against him for and <laughs> some different stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's and, a great guy. And uh, he just swiped, swiped some sticks right out from under me. Sam, if you listen to this, still angry. No, I'm just kidding, buddy. It's all good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, it's pretty cool, though. You know, that it's a different type of interaction anyway. And, and um, But you notice certain things, and it seems like one, I've talked about it before, it seems like Michigan guys are like, I don't know, for some reason they're the the – the, the majority of saddle hunters are Michiganders and uh, 
they're, <laughs> they're coming out with most of the things it seems like for the saddle stuff too and uh but but saddles are like boots i mean everybody has a different preference everybody has a different thing yeah and and what's crazy is like the two years ago when i ordered my saddle and it was just starting to be the saddle hype right and yep. the, there was tethered and there was uh kestrel right arrow arrow yeah, arrow hunter and that was pretty much it. A lot of guys were yep. doing the sit drag and all that stuff. My buddy tried it. In fact, my buddy right now has his own hammock thing that he made. It's a DIY one with some mule tape and fleece and some different things. And he uses his rock climbing harness. And I yeah, was like, a lot of guys were doing that, making going to Joanne Fabrics and buying a couple yards of fleece and throwing a rock climbing harness under it. And and that's basically yeah. when I saw the dryad, I was like, this is a fleece saddle on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so that's that's kind of like you know th- th- where it all went, and and uh, he's still using it, and he's like, you know, I really want to buy a saddle just to have a saddle versus what I got, but I'm really comfortable in other ones, so I'm like, maybe you should just stick with it then, you know. But well, I wish I could stick with something. <laughs> <laughs> your your story's different though. You need the content, so therefore you have to be continually experimenting. But yep. so I, I got to ask you though, like. Are you an exclusive one sticker now? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I hunt a lot of swamps and there's times where I'll, and I, I hunt a lot of small trees. I, I would bet you, <laughs> I spend 50% of my time in trees that are, you know, six to eight inches in diameter at the bottom, you know, I mean, tiny trees. And I'll half the time I'll go up one tree and then I move my second stick to another tree you know, and just silly stuff like that. So, you know, and they're crooked and just different things. And, and so there's a lot of times I'm grabbing the sticks, you know, still and, and going yeah. in with those. Um, now, it's, I think it's largely due to the terrain. Where I hunted a lot in Ohio when I lived there, uh, it was ag and with hardwoods. I'd one stick every day of the week in that kind of terrain. You know, <laughs> this, this is a no-brainer. You know? Yeah. After sitting down and talking to Dano and and talking to Austin and all those guys, it almost makes me want to try it. But at the same time, I'm I don't think I'm there yet. And and it just seems to me like. You're going to run into situations where you can't one stick it or something, and then you're going to be screwed that you can't do it. Just... Yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll run into the guys who say, I can one stick anything, and I, and I bet you probably can, but in my mind, there are just some setups where it's like, it, this is going to be just easier to throw three sticks on a tree. Yeah. That's what I see. And I don't know, now that, <laughs> now that I got the USA that Sam makes, it's like, that is the easiest most simple attachment that i've ever used like it's really cool i can't say enough good things about it and like all these guys tying the other knot there's no need for it i could see if like it's a platform or something where you need to get a little bit tighter but you're setting a stick anyway like it's so simple i used it the other day and i was like this is so nice no daisy chain no buckle on a you know like a, a cam buckle or nothing it was nothing it was just put it on pull it tight done it was it was so cool. Yeah, I I, yeah. I was so excited, and then when I got to my platform, I didn't have one for the platform yet, and that's where like the fumbling and the clanging and everything went on. I'm like, oh, I should totally do that with a platform. Like it just, 
it, it was it was one of those <laughs> yeah. things where everything went smooth and everything was quiet until I got up there and I'm like, this, this, this. I feel like this hunt's ruined now. Like <laughs> you know, even though it wasn't, but it was just you got the I, uh, first first sit jitters and all that kind of stuff going on anyway. You know. Yep, yep. I tell you, man, I I catch so much grief because oh, I'm Mr. Saddle Hunter, but I use Hawk Helium sticks <laughs> for six years. That's what I'm rolling with. Don't I don't, don't I I'm not laughing. That's what I got. Actually, you know, I, I just I, I, I and I haven't had a problem with mine. You know, I've never had a kick out. I cut them. I bought mine. You know, back before they had the short versions. So I cut them down with the reciprocating saw and redrilled the holes and all that, and built DIY versa buttons on them. And and I've I've never had an issue. And so I, I keep waiting for a premium stick that gets my engine fired to make me want to spend four hundred bucks. But I, but I haven't found it yet. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this: I have the the three step double step Hawk Heliums. I've had them for a while now. I've got some other ones. I actually liked the Hawks better than the XOP single step just because I don't mm. like a single step. To me, it, I don't ever go up and down the same way, so it just doesn't work for me. Um, but I've had one kick out, and it was with the daisy chain. I couldn't get it around the tree to where I could get the loop that I wanted, so I had to go to the next one. Yeah. I set it. I must have <laughs> set it a little bit too far down, and I stepped on that thing, and it kicked right out from underneath me, and I learned what a lineman belt does but i still slid a little bit because i was kind of leaning out yeah. far from the tree so i made it all the way down to the next the next step of the, the next stick so it was not pleasant i was scraped up yeah. but but you know at least i didn't break an ankle or go all the way down or whatever you know it could have been a lot worse but that's the only thing i've had with the hawks and i think that was more user you know than than anything but i don't I don't necessarily like them because they are loud. I'd never stealth stripped them. I've never done anything with them, but yeah. not having that buckle makes a huge difference. <laughs> huge yeah. difference. It, it, it absolutely does. You know, I, I've never stealth stripped mine. And, and, and I, I was telling, I think it was Austin. Uh, I was telling the other day, I said, man, I never realized why people were so gung ho about stealth strips. I said, I just don't feel like I go into the, no, into the woods and clang a bunch of metal together. And then I bought one of those Lone Wolf Custom Gear 0.5s just for fun to play around with. And I'm like, oh, it's the stand guys that need all of this, this yeah. silencing material because they're putting their metal sticks on the metal stand and all that. And just the way the pack that I use, the sticks, never, they don't touch each other and they don't they don't touch anything but fabric. And so I just, I, <laughs> there's no noise going on. You know? Yeah. No, I get it. Like, but. I've got some other ones. I just got the uh, the stacked outdoors ones. Oh yeah, I'm not super sold. Like I I don't care about the weight that they're heavier and a little bit bulkier. That's not the problem. I love the fact that they're super quiet. Like you can clang them together, and it sounds like an antler. Really, it doesn't sound like like yeah. metal. And I like the fact that they're a nice big double step, and the top top of it is completely flat all the way across. It's a huge step, and they stick out super far from the tree. Like. I was telling somebody just today that you could you could put like a size 14 boot on there and still have, you know, room on the tree. My only issue I found and I don't know if it was because I didn't have it tied super tight to the tree, I think I did, but I tried it with the buckles and I tried it with the USA on there. And when you're standing on it and you go to like lift up and you're on one leg, the it it almost cams out a little bit away from the really? tree. 
And I was like, Interesting. Eh, just the bottom of it. But it's enough yeah. to scare you. And, and it doesn't move. But I look at it and I'm like, what if it does this like in the dark or something? You know, like if you can't see it, right. you're going to keep putting weight on it and make it go further. And it scared me. So I don't know if I'm going to continue with them or I might end up actually selling them or returning them. I still could. It just, yeah, I, to me, you, it's you not. You just got to be confident in what you're using. You know, I, I tell guys <laughs> that all the time. Hey, I, I may think some saddle's great, but if you get in it, you don't like it. You're not confident with it. You're not climbing, you know, you know you're not confident one sticking. It's just going to make for a bad experience. So yeah, just for use sure. what you're comfortable with, you know? So I don't know where that's going to go. I'm going to play with them a little bit more and try and figure out. I was talking, Sam was talking about it and I asked him and he's like, yeah, you might have to do, cause it's got the ears on the side. It doesn't have the, the, the button in the middle. And so I was thinking, and he was telling me, maybe you got to do like the X type tie off like you do with the, with the lone wolf sticks where they've got the ears on the side. So, oh yeah. Right. So maybe I got to do that. I, I don't know. I'll play around with a little bit more and if I can't figure it out, they're gone for sure. But, uh, I, like I said, I mean, and still those were what, like a hundred and 160 bucks or something for like the whole set or, I mean, they're not super expensive sticks. So I'm still in the cheapo stick boat. I'm waiting on some C1s (laughs) to come my way, but, um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But, um, I think this is probably a good point because we've been talking for a while before and after, and, and I'm sure we could keep rolling for a long time, but, um, I'm just going to ask you if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or check out your content or anything, where, where can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my YouTube channel is just called Saddle Hunting. So that's where most of my content goes. I'm super active on most of the saddle hunting Facebook pages, uh, Saddle Hunter Nation, probably more than the others. Um, or, you know, they can shoot me an email, uh, saddlehunting at gmail.com. Uh, or shoot me a Facebook message, you know, just search me, Spencer Valeri. I get, you know, friend requests and, and messages from, from all kinds of guys. And I get so many of them that sometimes I overlook them. So don't take it personally. if I don't get back to you right away. Uh, but I, I try my best to keep up on that stuff. So I'm always willing to, you know, answer questions if guys, you know, just want feedback, you know, especially if they've got a specific question, you know, I, I try to put my information out there as unbiased as I can, but I do have, I do have things that I like, you know, that just work for my style. So while I'll sometimes not put that information on, on a video, if a guy wants to message me and say, Hey, I'm looking at these two saddles, what's been your experience with them? I'll tell them, yeah, Hey, I don't, I, I don't like that one. You know, it doesn't work for me. I go with this one. Those kind of questions I'm more than happy to answer on private messages and things. So. All right, man, Spencer, it's been good. I appreciate you coming on and talking to me and sharing your knowledge and cool hunt stories. And I'm sure. Well, hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> I think we're going to have to get you back on here and, and uh, do a few more on another time. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a riot, man. I'd love to. So appreciate it. Yep. Thank you so much. No problem. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show.
miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. 